read the Passion every year, the one universal feeling is shame. And the world tells us that it's a shame to feel shame. It's a shame to be ashamed. Shame has no place within the healthy human heart. There is this um, song that we used to sing every during the offertory, a hymn that was sung during every good um, Palm Sunday Mass at St. Joseph Seminary College. And it went, oh, that shame that ended in this glory, oh, that pain now lost in joy unknown. Oh, that shame that ended in this glory. Again, the world tells us that it's a shame to feel ashamed. And there's a real problem with that. The problem is, is that after the fall, the very first gift that God gives to Adam and that God gives to Eve is the gift of shame. That's the very first gift that God gives to them. Because shame is the one thing that tells us sin is evil. But we know that shame can be bad, right? In the New Testament, the devil is known as the accuser. And what the devil does is that he brings out shame so as to point us out in the darkness, and he offers no redemption. He leads us into temptation, he makes evil relative, and then all of a sudden, it's too late. You kind of see that in the life of the apostles, where they're praying in the garden, and they go to pray, oh, it's not really a big deal if we fall asleep. And then immediately, when they wake up, it's too late. They're already there, carrying Jesus off as a criminal. And so they get locked in their shame and they flee. But there is a good kind of shame. A shame that St. Paul says in Second Letter of Corinthians works unto repentance and unto salvation. A shame that can only come from a lover, a shame that is always coupled with redemption. And we know that both kinds, the good and the bad, make themselves evident in the passion. Because the human heart is thrown light upon through the suffering of Mary and of her son. Though most, we know, except for one clearly who speaks out, experience this negative kind of shame. And they experience the shame because we see those men who came to Jesus in the agony, during his agony in the garden. Jesus says to them, why do you come to me with clubs as if I'm some sort of robber? or thief. They come to him thinking that God is an enemy, because sin always makes us an enemy of God, but it makes us seem like God himself is the enemy, that he's the rival that we have. And so whenever the love of God, at least the example of his holiness, is shown upon our life, whenever the crucifix is revealed before us, if we can't handle the shame We've never experienced the shame of the lover, which I'll speak about shortly. If we can't handle that shame, then what we do in return is shame the one who causes shame. Here we say, it's, it's God who has no business doing this. We see, for instance, how throughout Jesus' passion, he's constantly being tested. You know, if you are the king of the Jews, then come down from the cross. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. Let us see, he is calling upon Elijah. Constantly throughout his passion, he is being tested. There's always something that causes some shame in the crowd, and so the crowd responds by shame. 
But then the crowd today in relationship to God and his church will shame the church. If there's something that the church teaches, not because there's anything wrong with what the church says, but because there's something wrong with the way that we handle our own shame, we say what the church says is archaic. What the church says is just wrong. Or it has no business saving that. We take the shame that's exposed upon us and we fling it right back. Or we take that shame and we fling it upon the church's ministers. By calling them all kind of, uh, generalizing them and calling them all kind of nasty things. Or we take that shame and we take it and we fling it back onto the church's members. By calling the church's members a bunch of hypocrites for coming into worship every Sunday, although they're sinners. Whenever we can't handle shame, or we feel like that shame is a threat, then we fling it right back onto the one who we see as causing the shame. But real shame, and the first original shame, again, is given by God in the garden. And it's given as a way, as a pathway to return back to him. And there's one man, whenever we put all the gospel accounts together, who looks at this shame and leads it into repentance and salvation. There's something that's very interesting. We read in the Gospel of Mark about the revolutionaries that those who were crucified with him also kept abusing him with the crowd. But then when we read the Gospel of Luke, we see that there's a good thief and a bad thief. And so what does that mean? That means when we put all the Gospel accounts together, There's a moment when both of these thieves, these revolutionaries, are jeering at Jesus. That the shame that he causes, now they're throwing back at him. But perhaps in a moment of clarity, the good thief, who we now know as St. Dismas, looks upon Jesus gazing upon his mother and saying to his mother, Behold your son. And then looks at Jesus, this man who is only a few feet apart from him, looking at John and saying, Behold your mother. And although they're only a few feet apart, there must be some sort of infinite distance because he sees an infinite love that he's bestowing upon Mary and John, the apostle. But he knows that by his own shame and by his own sin, there remains an infinite distance. But this shame is only filled with is only good because it's filled with an utter confidence in Christ's love and his redemption. Because he sees Christ's love, his mother, because he sees Christ's love, John the Apostle, can he say, I am justly condemned. But remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. I am justly condemned. But remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. The shame of the lover, shame that accompanies the working of the Holy Spirit will only allow us to have freedom because shame is always kept at the bottom of our hearts. But it is impossible to love God from the bottom of our hearts when it remains in darkness. And so we're comfortable exposing our shame in the eyes of the beloved, in the eyes of the lover, whenever he gazes upon us and with confidence knows that His mercy and his redemption is greater than any cause of our shame. Any cause of our shame. The good thief, Dismas, 
can look upon himself with honesty and clarity and shake hands with his own shame because he knows that the redemption of Jesus is real because of the love that he shows to his mother and to his beloved apostle John. And so whenever Pilate brings out Jesus to the crowd and the crowd says crucify him, what Pilate says to the crowd first and the crowd, of course, answers wrongly, is behold the man. Behold the man. Behold the shame of God. God shames himself for our sake, so that in him gazing upon us, and us beholding him, he beholds us back. He looks back through our eyes into the windows of our soul. He sees our shame and still willingly goes out and dies for us. No one forced his hand. He lays down his life freely. No one takes it from him. We can encounter our shame and have liberation only by beholding the man, by beholding Jesus Christ. Oh, that shame that ended in his glory is that that same shame that ends in our glory. It's that same shame that causes repentance that works in the salvation. It's that same shame that finally allows us to, to love authentically from the bottom of our hearts. And so we ask that in beholding the man, Jesus Christ, that he can behold us, that he can see through our shame, that we can be comfortable in it, and so return our whole hearts to him.